Good morning. It's good to be here uh, with you. Um, a few weeks ago when uh, Pastor Mark uh, emailed me to ask if I'd be willing to come and speak in this uh, Songs of Summer series, uh, I jumped at the chance, and it didn't take very long, uh, I think roughly about four seconds, uh, for me to decide uh, which psalm I wanted to speak on. Um, I don't know that I have a favorite psalm, but if I did, uh, for sure, uh, Psalm 18 would be one of the competitors. Uh, it was Martin Luther's favorite psalm, and uh, this is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, uh, so um, there you go. So I thought I'd go with uh, Psalm 118 this morning. So the, um, the message title is, This is the Day the Lord Has Made. And, of course, that comes from Psalm 118. And um, in some ways, what this whole message is going to be about is trying to indicate what we mean when we say, this is the day the Lord has made. Now, before we get into the message proper, I want to call your attention to a website. Um, And the website is Psalms. Dot seedbed.com. And on this website, you can find all 150 psalms metricized, that is, turned into English verse with uh, rhyming poetry, etc. Uh, this is an old practice in the Christian church, uh, metricizing the psalms in order to be able to sing them. And so um, Psalm 118 here, Uh, as it says, uh, portions adapted by Julie Tennant from the 1650 Scottish Metrical Psalter. How about that? Now, I've got some um, uh, bad news and good news for you this morning. Uh, The first piece of news I have is this. Uh, I'm going to sing. Um, And right now, you should be thinking in the back of your mind, okay, seriously? Seriously? I came through torrential rains in order to hear this. Um, But the good news is, I'm not going to sing entirely by myself. You're going to sing with me. So, Psalm 118, I'm taking this from this seedbed site. And um, we're going to sing three verses. I'm going to sing the first verse by myself. And then we'll sing the first verse again. And then we'll do verses two and three. That's the way this is going to work. Now, the tune that we're using for this is an old folk song tune that's been used in various settings. My favorite composer ever, uh, Rafe Vaughn Williams, uh, used it for a great piece uh, entitled uh, Variations on Divas and Lazarus. I don't know if that means anything to you. If it doesn't, we're not going to explain it now. Uh, However, maybe more recently... If you're a Van Morrison fan, he used this tune uh, for uh, an old uh, setting of, or a more recent setting of an older song, uh, Star of the County Down. So um, we're going to go with this and see what will happen. So bear with me, listen to me on one verse, then we'll sing this verse again, and then two more verses. So here's the way it goes. Oh, praise the Lord, for he is good. His mercy does endure. Let those of Israel now say, 
his mercy does endure. Now let the house of Aaron say, his mercy does endure. Let those that fear the Lord now say, his mercy does endure. Okay, so you're going to sing with me now. This verse, oh, thank you. Thank you for the affirmation. (laughs) So we're going to sing this verse and then two more after that. So sing with me. I want to hear your voices. And this is a pretty big space, so you need to sing um, fairly loud and yet, as John Wesley said, uh, modestly. So um, somehow balance those two things. Oh, praise the Lord, for he is good. His mercy does endure. Let those of Israel now say, His mercy does endure. Now let the house of Aaron say, His mercy does endure. Let those that fear the Lord now say, His mercy does endure. I in distress called on the Lord, the Lord did answer me. He set me in a spacious place, from trouble set me free. The mighty Lord is on my side, I will not be afraid. For anything that man can do, I shall not be dismayed. The Lord is for me among those who do give help to me. Therefore, on those that do me hate, I'll look triumphantly. It's better far to trust in God than trust in man's defense. Better to trust in God than kings who seek our confidence. Very good. Thank you. You did a fine job. You should sing a cappella more often. You did a great job. All right, now. We're going to make our way through Psalm 18, and again, remember, the the whole purpose of this in some way is to figure out what we mean when we say, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, Quite often that phrase is used in order to introduce uh, worship services. There is a uh, famous um, radio uh, worship hour that starts Uh, with someone saying these exact words. But what does it mean? So, let's start working our way through Psalm 118. First of all, verses 1 through 4 says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. And probably here, we should envision a worship leader who is leading the congregation in worship, 
singing praise to God. He starts off by saying, let Israel say his love endures forever. And then he points just to the priestly tribe, the house of Aaron, and says, you say, let his love endure, his love endures forever. And then he brings in this idea of all those who fear the Lord. Let us all say together, he says, his love endures forever. So that's the beginning of this great psalm. And then we come to verse 5. The psalmist says, In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. So the psalmist is someone here who um, was in some kind of distressing situation. He cried to the Lord, and the Lord answered him, rescued him, set him free. And then the psalmist declares, the Lord is with me. I will look in triumph on my enemies. So now we have a clue, one more clue here in this psalm, that we're talking about the psalmist's anguish being caused by enemies. Then we keep reading. Verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And so the psalmist is assured here that the Lord's help is better than the help of any human being. The Lord's help is more important and more efficient than the help of those who are in positions of high authority than princes. And then we come to verse 10, where all of a sudden the clues become a bit more um, uh, pointed. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Now at this point, we ought to be asking the question, perhaps, who is the psalmist? Who is the person singing this song? And I want to sort of suggest here that we're not talking about your ordinary, everyday uh, Joe or Jane Israelite. Uh, and if your name is Joe or Jane, I apologize for that. But probably here, all the nations surrounded me. We're probably talking about someone who's involved in the heat of battle. And probably because they make it so personalized, it's not just a, the regular soldier, it's probably a military commander, probably a general. And inasmuch as in ancient times, the general the lead military commander was quite often the king. Perhaps the psalmist here is the king. So keep those points in mind. Going on to verse 13. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And then we come to verses 15 and 16 where evidently now the victory has been won. And what do you do when you win the great victory? You rejoice in it. 
Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. So this king, this leader of the people, has gone into battle surrounded by all the nations, or in other words, to put it another way, the odds were against him and his army, but they won. The Lord's help is better than the help of human beings. The Lord's help is better than the help of princes. So the Lord sustained. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And now shouts of joy and victory resound because we won a battle against overwhelming forces. Going on to verse 17, the psalmist says this, I will not die but live. Or in other words, the issue was in doubt. But he says, I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. And then a somewhat surprising line here. The the psalmist, and again if it's a king, says, the Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Does this note in some way, does that indicate that that part of the reason why that this king is in this battle is due to his own sins or some fault of his own? There's not enough clue here to, to really go with that, but it's at least a possibility. But in any case, the psalmist rejoices, the Lord has, not, has chastened me, but he has not given me over to death. Indeed, we have won a great victory. And now, as we go to verse 19, the picture seems to be that there's some kind of victory procession as the returning army comes back to Jerusalem and someone says in verse 19, open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. So there's a great procession taking place. Now, it's not, we're not exactly sure. This could be the gates of the city, or it could be the gates of the temple. In fact, either one of those contexts would fit the, the rest of the psalm. But uh, either way, open those gates as part of our great victory celebration. And then the psalmist goes on to say this. Verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, notice that phrase there at the very beginning of verse 22, the stone the builders rejected, has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. And so now we have another clue that helps us in this psalm, and the clue is this. The psalmist, the king, whoever he is, I I think it's the king, went and fought a great victory against all the nations. But he didn't have just external enemies he also had internal enemies 
in the kingdom. People who said, this person should not be our leader. He should not be our king. He should not be the one to lead us into battle. They rejected him. But now the king returning says, you people who rejected me, let me assure you, that stone you rejected is now the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then, as a response to what this person says, the next verses have someone saying, or some crowd saying, verse 25, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Now, just a quick little Hebrew lesson. I don't do this too often, but I'm going to give you just a little one. That very first line in verse 25 where it says, O Lord, save us. In Hebrew, that is Hoshia Na. And guess what that turns into in the New Testament? Hosanna. And so sure enough, in Matthew 21, right after Jesus has entered triumphantly into Jerusalem, it says there that a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Which is simply a quotation from Psalm 118. As Jesus triumphantly rides through Jerusalem, just like that king triumphantly entered through the gates of the city, and the people rejoiced with him, even here now, as Jesus comes in, the people use that same language to welcome him. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. But then, in this same chapter, in Matthew 21, those words show up again, a little bit later in the chapter. And here's where it comes. Verse 33. Matthew 21 and verse 33. Now, prior to this, Jesus has not simply ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. He also went to the temple, and he cleaned out all those who were exchanging money and selling things at exorbitant prices. And he said all kinds of things, and the, and, and, and the rabbis and the Sadducees and the religious authorities said, by what authority are you doing these things? And here is the way Jesus replies to them. He replies to them by telling a story. And the story starts in verse 33. He says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants 
to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, if you're uh, listening to this story, uh, I mean, we're listening to it 20 centuries later, and we can tell what this is about, right? This is about all those prophets that God sent to Israel to call them to repent, and they wouldn't repent. And now he sends his very son, and what do they do? They're going to take this son and kill him. So, going on, In verse 40, Jesus asks the question, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they reply, almost as it were condemning themselves in their reply, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. In other words, this parable is about what these wicked Jewish leaders are going to do to him, to Jesus. And then, in verse 42, Jesus turns this against them and says, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. A quotation taken right again from Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then, verse 24 is a verse that basically describes what happened in verses 22 and 23. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So, the question at the beginning that I asked was, what does... This is the day the Lord has made. What does that actually mean? Well, first of all, in good academic fashion, let me tell you two things that the phrase, this is the day the Lord has made, doesn't mean. Here's the first one. Oh, what a beautiful day this is. The sun is shining, the sky is blue, the clouds are fluffy white, The grass is green, the trees are green, the flowers are in bloom, the birds are singing, the bees are buzzing. It's a great day for a walk in the park. This is just a beautiful, beautiful day. There is sunshine in my soul, and boy, do I feel good. What a wonderful day this is to praise the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's the first one. 
this does not mean. Okay? Here's the second one. And maybe this is more like today. Oh, what miserable weather we're having today. It's snowing, raining, hailing. It's bitter cold. The wind is biting. It's gloomy, dreary, depressing. But hey, we're inside where we're safe and warm. And we've got the love of God down in the depths of our hearts. So we're going to praise God anyway. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And again, I'm saying this is not what it means either. So now you ask the question. Thank you for doing that. If it doesn't mean these two things, what does it mean? Well, here you go. Here's the correct shepherd-authorized answer. Here we are on a Sunday morning to celebrate nothing less than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All the forces of hell arrayed themselves against our Lord and King. They surrounded him on every side. They swarmed around him like bees. He was pushed back and about to fall, but in the name of the Lord, he cut them off. The Lord chastened him severely and even gave him over to death, but he is no longer dead. He has triumphed gloriously over the power of the grave. He is risen. He is the stone which the builders rejected. The Sanhedrin and Herod and Pilate examined him and found him wanting. But he has now become the capstone. This is nothing other than the doing of the Lord. The Lord has acted and he has acted marvelously. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Additionally, if this was a different Sunday, we could say this. This is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday of Christ's lowly yet triumphant ride into Jerusalem, a day which anticipates his crowning as king. This is the day the Lord has made. Or, if this were a different Sunday, we could say this. This is Easter Sunday. This is the day that the Lord triumphed gloriously over all the demonic and human powers arrayed against him. This is the day on which Jesus Christ, through the spirit of holiness, was declared to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. This is the day the Lord has made. Or, if this was Ascension Sunday, we could say this. This is the day on which, after having provided purification for sins, Christ ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, taking his rightful place on the throne of the universe as king of kings and lord of lords. This is the day the Lord has made. Or, looking into the future, when Jesus Christ returns in power and great glory, we can say this. This is the day on which Christ shall return from heaven, put down all opposition to his rule, destroy all wickedness, and complete the redemption of his saints. This is the day on which every knee will bow, some by force, 
and every tongue confess, again, some very grudgingly, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the day the Lord has made. Now, we need to complete the psalm. So going on to verse 27, it says this, The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Or an older, and I think probably more correct translation is this, or bind the festal sacrifice with ropes to the horns of the altar. Now to catch the significance of this, we need to go back. This is not a Lord's Supper Sunday uh, this morning, but if it was, you may remember that in the account of the Lord's Supper, in Matthew 26, it says this. After they celebrated this new institution, the Lord's Supper, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, you might get the indication from this that they only sang one hymn. But in the Greek, it simply says this, more literally, when they had hymned. And they probably sang several songs. And there is a Jewish tradition that at this time, on the eve of the Passover, what they did was to sing several songs. And they sang a number of songs from one particular section of the book of Psalms. They called it the the Hallel, which is a word for praise. And they sang Psalms 113 to 118. Now imagine the scene that night. Jesus is with his apostles. He has told them that the very next day, he is going to go out and pour out his blood for their salvation. And then, after having told them that and celebrated this supper, they sing together these hymns, Psalm 113 to 118, which practically ends near the end of Psalm 118 by saying this, bind the sacrifice with ropes to the horns of the altar. Jesus singing about himself as they make their way out across the Kidron Valley and go to the Garden of Gethsemane. The psalm closes like this. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This is the day the Lord has made. I want to finish this message by doing just a bit more singing. So we're going to do three more verses from the end of Psalm 118, metricized. And again, please sing with me. Here we go. This is the gate of God by it. The just shall enter in. I will give thanks for you have heard and my salvation been. 
The stone is made head cornerstone, which builders did despise. This is the doing of the Lord, and wondrous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice exceedingly. O Lord, do save, grant us success, and sin prosperity. For blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. From the Lord's house we bless you now, where blessing is outpoured. The Lord is God, and he has made his light on us to rise. Bind to the altars, horns with cords, the festal sacrifice. You are my God, I'll give you thanks, exalt you evermore. Give thanks to God, for he is good, his mercy does endure.